0: Hello and a warm welcome and a big thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of Edie's Susty Talks. If you're new here, hello, I'm Edie's Deputy Editor, Sarah, and Susty Talks are our short but sweet audio interviews with sustainability leaders from across the globe. We launched them in 2020 during lockdown here in the UK to keep everyone a bit more informed and better connected, even if they were pressed for time. And we've continued ever since. And happy to be continuing the series today with the head of policy at the Energy Saving Trust, Stu Horn. Stu, thank you very much for your time. How are you?
1: Hi, Sarah. Thanks. Yeah, I'm. I'm good. Thank you.
0: Fresh back off holiday just <laughs> as as well. Um. So thank you for taking the time out from catching up on your emails to to hop on Susty Talks. Um. I guess we'd always start with an introduction, Edie's obviously worked with the Energy Saving Trust before, but for those who are listening and might not be familiar, could we please have a brief introduction?
1: Yes, so Energy Saving Trust, we're an independent, mission-driven organisation. We're dedicated to energy efficiency, low carbon transport and sustainable energy use. So we're trying to address the climate emergency um, and uh, promote the wider benefits of clean energy. Um, What does that mean in practice? So we empower millions of householders every year to make better choices. Um, We generate insight and research to inform better policy decisions. We deliver transformative programmes right the way across the UK. Um, One thing in particular that I think was really interesting for your audience here is that in Scotland we manage something called Business Energy Scotland that launched in April 2022 and is funded by the Scottish Government. What it does is it provides free impartial support and access to help um, SMEs save energy and money. So it found more than £200 million worth of savings for Scottish organisations um, already with a 24% average saving per, per business. So it has really, really, really high impact.
0: Great. Some excellent pieces of work going on there. And I assume that it's been very busy being head of policy um, in recent times, in in particular with, you know, new government and new energy visions to support that net zero target set in 2019.
1: It's absolutely just a, a phenomenally busy time. And it hasn't shown any signs of of letting up until relatively recently. And we've, there's an election, it feels like around the corner, it's still, still over a year away. Um, but what it means, I, I guess, is that as we as we approach the election, there's a limited amount of change that can can be um, achieved quickly. So I think we'll probably see a little bit of a slowdown in, in terms of policy. But actually, if you look at the external environment, there's a real need um, to get on with deciding how we're going to transform our economy and how we're going to transform the energy system.
0: Yeah as you mentioned super busy space and there's lots of places that I could have started but I'm going to start with energy efficiency because you guys are the energy saving trust um, and talk essentially about the UK's approach here so last year I remember writing about the energy security strategy Um, lots of people I spoke to Jill Kingley called it the energy generation strategy because there really wasn't much on efficiency at all it was all really about how energy would be produced so I wanted to get your thoughts on whether the government has focused a bit more on energy security since then and if not why not?
1: Yeah well uh, I think um, there was just a massive gap in the energy security strategy um, when uh, we looked at well what's there about addressing um, energy demand um, and ultimately that means using less energy in the first place for an investment in energy efficiency but particularly in buildings but also thinking about um, how we uh, think about when we use energy as well as as well as how much energy we use um, <clears throat> so uh, w- what we've seen um, abroad uh, has been really inspirational so uh, uh, yeah, huge amounts of um, in initiatives, particularly prompted by the war in Ukraine um, and, and the gas crisis that has, has come about because of that, um, but, but not just in, in Europe to really push down the amount of energy being used. Um, and countries, France, Germany um, and beyond, who've got really a really strong focus on um, having a demand strategy and having um, information campaigns in place to try and help people reduce the amount of energy that they use. Um, And so we've seen that be really impactful. And we thought, well, where is the UK's version? Where's the UK government's version in response to this? And we haven't really seen enough in that space to convince us that there's a a solid plan. So we think that that's that's a really missing um, area. There are a a number of of targets that are in place. So the Chancellor's got a 2035 target um, for uh, for a decarbonised energy system, and there's a 15% reduction in energy demand target for 2030, um, but we're still yet to see what what's really going to be put in place to deliver those.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's exactly what was said about you know the overarching net zero target and I wanted to get your view on why the response has been different in the UK than in Europe is it because the government has said it doesn't want to tell people what to do is it that the elections around the corner and you say you can only do so much what what do you think is behind that
1: well I suppose there's an extent to which uh changing the energy system and the energy generation system from a few hundred power stations to a couple of thousand small renewable uh, power stations is a much easier job than decarbonizing 18 million homes and a million small businesses. So and there's kind of a scale issue uh, that sits behind it. Um, but it is puzzling that we don't have a stronger demand strategy because actually if we think about what we're trying to achieve, so the three dimensions of the energy trilemma, so that's cutting carbon, it's increasing energy security and lowering costs. Actually, energy efficiency and demand production is the most effective way to tackle all three of those areas. And particularly when we think about domestic homes or about businesses and energy efficiency um, helps to permanently lower people's energy costs. It reduces the amount of energy that we need to import. In the long term, it means we need to build out less grid infrastructure, we need to build less generation. And so this should all be good news. Um, And what we've seen, Other jurisdictions do, so in the United States with the Inflation Reduction Act, in the EU, in various EU member states, but also in the repowering EU uh, agenda, put a real focus not just on energy generation, which is of course really important, but also on energy reduction.
0: That makes sense. And we've talked about a few international case studies there. I don't know if you have any more about what the UK could learn from other nations on demand side measures, low carbon heating. You've mentioned some big top line work at hand in the EU and the US, but I don't know if you had any other specific schemes that you wanted to highlight, Stu. Well, there's if we think about what the really big gaps in in the
1: Powering Up Britain uh, package of measures were, then th- there are um, some some big sort of thematic things that we can look at that other countries have put in place. So sort of to, to wrap those up together, um, there's, uh, there needs to be a large scale wraparound focus on deep retrofit. So a long term retrofit scheme with tiered levels of support for people of all different income levels. Um, we need to ensure the installation of cost-effective decarbonisation measures, so including the electrification of heat. And you know, for a lot of people, that's going to mean heat pumps and a lot of people and a lot of businesses. Um, business ne- businesses need certainty. Through the deployment of long-term signals Um, and we also need to make sure that the transition that we're going through is just so we need to make sure that low-income households can benefit from low-carbon technology so we need to find ways to support them and improve their access to things like heat pumps or electric vehicles. We have just finished a piece of work for the Climate Change Committee, and we published this in June, which um, was a rapid review of over 100 uh, policies that had been introduced during the COVID crisis, but also during the energy crisis, which aimed both to cut carbon and also cut costs for consumers. So we started with about 100 policies. We whittled that down to about about 12 in the end. Um, And those broadly covered retrofit schemes, business energy efficiency, um, information campaigns and um, initiatives that would help low-income consumers get access to low-carbon technologies. Um, so there, there's actually quite a phenomenal amount of, of evidence about what works, and I think that's the good news. Is it? You know, we've, we're facing quite a substantial challenge, but we know what can work to to help reduce um, reduce our costs and reduce the amount of carbon. Um, so if I pick out some of the really um, impressive examples. So in terms of in terms of having a, a comprehensive retrofit um, strategy uh, also an initiative to reduce the amount of energy used overall, France just really stands out. So France has um, a comprehensive retrofit scheme called uh, M- Maprim Renov. Um, it's a grant-focused scheme. It cuts across the whole of French housing stock. Um, It's uh, integrated from the top of the French government all the way down into local authorities. And really importantly, it provides different levels of grant for different um, types of retrofit, covering everything from insulation to low carbon heat and renewables. Um, A really impressive thing it did was install um, 156,000 air source heat pumps last year, and France in total sold over 600,000. So really actually moving the dial in terms of retrofit and um, low carbon heat. And then hand in hand with that, the French have got a scheme called Spirite Energetique, which is um, designed to um, reduce the amount of energy demand in France overall. And that's a um, a package of behavioural changes underpinned by an information campaign, um, which is looking at energy reduction in the public, private, and domestic. Uh, spheres. So that's cutting across homes and businesses. Um, and it's a combined set of measures, some of which are um, mandatory, some of which are voluntary. And overall they're designed to produce a um a, a permanent reduction in France's energy demand. Now France has already achieved the percentage reduction it was aiming to to get on the long term from that scheme. Um, so it's 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 really impressive in in what it's already managed to deliver. And we don't have anything that's Sits in that kind of space um, for ourselves at the moment. So we had the um, "It All Adds Up" campaign um, from the government, which was particularly focused on on costs. So that was that that was welcome, but it wasn't quite as com- it wasn't nearly as comprehensive as what France has put in place. And we had the demand flexibility scheme, which was a really innovative uh, piece of work from National Grid, which re- rewarded people for using energy at different times to take pressure off the grid. Um, but still, nothing that's quite in the same space and as, as comprehensive as uh, what France put in place. So that, that, that's particularly focused on um, primarily on domestic consumers. Actually, we looked at loads of things that were um, uh, really, really important for businesses, too. Um, and for businesses, um, there isn't one particular scheme that stands out and does everything, but there are some really compelling elements of um, international schemes that really stand out. Um, so. One of the things that we think is really important is the UK government should put in place a comprehensive and coherent strategy to help all businesses, but especially SMEs, decarbonise and cut costs. Um, And the key elements of that, we think, are um, a long term decarbonisation framework. Um, And we really think that's key to reducing businesses' investment costs, providing certainty, providing a target that businesses can respond to. Um, We think there should be policies to help embed energy and carbon management and put those at the heart of decision making. Um, For SMEs in particular, we think there needs to be help with identifying what those opportunities are through audits and peer-to-peer learning. Um, And for larger energy users, um, we think there are opportunities to build on things like the Energy Savings Opportunity Scheme. So that's that's an audit um, system. Um, And one of the things we've seen that is particularly effective is um, making some of the recommendations from those audits mandatory. So that having seen uh, what, what types of measures could be put in place, actually making sure that businesses go through and, and, and put those in place um, when they make sense and are, uh, are going to be effective.
0: Got it. And we know that ESOS compliance is a thing for big businesses. We've also heard of some big businesses in the UK that are able to sort of not bypass the policy voyage, but they can invest in self-generation. They can invest in energy efficiency themselves. Um, they have people that know about how to do this um inside the business but i wanted to get your view on what businesses that don't have these benefits can do in this in this sort of policy void that we're in at the moment what would you tell maybe a smaller business um that was very impacted by the cost of of energy crisis um to do at the moment
1: yeah and i think it's it's particularly there, there are over a million small businesses in the uk and uh you know they they're particularly impacted by the, the rising costs that we've seen, and also they're not homogenous. And I think that's one of the challenges is there's no one size fits all uh, solution that you can roll out to to SMEs. Um, we think it's really important to provide energy saving tips and uh, information to SMEs, um, but that is challenging because they are so varied um, and there are lots of differences in the way that they operate and their processes. Um, I think it's really important. So any SMEs that are concerned about their energy use should speak to their supplier in the first in, instance and then sort of consider whether they could have an energy audit undertaken. So this involves an energy expert assessing um, where businesses use energy, where savings might be possible. And um, these audits can be relatively inexpensive. And, and in Scotland, we provide sort of additional support that, um, that SMEs can tap into. Um, the main areas that Uh, those sort of audits look at heating, lighting, office equipment. Quite often there can be quite simple approaches um, that can help people to cut energy consumption in those areas. So switching to LED lighting, switching off electrical equipment when when those things aren't in use and installing heating controls and timers. So um, those seem really straightforward, but perhaps aren't obvious if you don't work in in the sector all the time. Uh, The government also provides some grants and energy reviews to help businesses manage their energy costs with their finance. Um, And there's also a business support finder that's available on on gov.uk. There's more advice and support for businesses in Wales, uh, which can be found on the Business Wales um, uh, website. And obviously in Scotland, we provide uh, free and partial support and access to funding um, as well.
0: Great, thank you for all those those tips. Um, and I'd love to say that it will get better as well, and that policy clarity is coming. Um, but in recent days, we've probably seen that that is not the case. Uh, um, we know that the Prime Minister is facing pressure from a minority of his party to actually water down, um, some green pledges. The focus does seem to be not on energy efficiency, but more on electric vehicles. But there are bigger implications too. So I wanted to get your views on. How we can get the PM to listen to the message that this is the wrong thing at exactly the wrong time. Well, I
1: think <clears throat> you know, if Rishi Sunak was here right now, would be saying, well, for business, um, it's really important to have a clear long-term plan, and that creates certainty for industry and for consumers to to, to help facilitate the transition to a net-zero economy. And why is it so important to have this long-term vision? Well, um, the long-term signals uh, help. Um, help create certainty that lowers costs in the long term for businesses, it really enhances investability as well. So it helps businesses to to work out what investments they need to make at what time, allow them to plan against that. Um, So that all helps in in the long term to reduce costs. Um, and there's still opportunities for the government to provide this kind of kind of clarity and um, the, the autumn statements coming up. So there's a really there's a really key, really key moment there when uh, the government can help to provide a really clear signal to business about what it intends to do. But zooming out a bit, addressing the climate emergency isn't really a choice and it's not an ideology, it's an economic and an existential imperative. So there's lots of evidence um, and cost benefit analysis that shows that not tackling the climate crisis is gonna be more expensive than doing something about it. So our livelihoods and our lifestyle depend on it. Um, The science and the economics are actually really clear. So delaying the transition to a low carbon economy will cost money, it will cost lives, it will cost our future. So we really ought to be paying attention. One of the things that stood out really clearly from the work we've just done for the CCC is that actually the time is now for us to be scaling up our ambition and not backtracking on targets and risking being left behind. So when you look across what major governments are doing across the world, the Americans with the Inflation Reduction Act are are putting huge amounts of certainty and investment and money um, into the energy transition. So is the EU through the EU Repowering uh, Scheme. So is Japan. So is Korea. So is Australia. Well, the UK really needs to have a response, and that that ought to come from the Chancellor in, in the autumn. So now's the time really for giving those clear signals about how we're going to um, have a have a, a comprehensive strategy for meeting our targets. Um, it's not the time for us to be jeopardising. Um, uh jeopardizing our ambitions um for short-term gain. Um I think that's 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 really, really important because achieving net zero by twenty fifty is a legally binding commitment uh, that was made by the UK government less than five years ago. To, in order to deliver that commitment, we put in long-term commitments that uh, go beyond the electoral cycle and can really be really committed to um by government after government.
0: That makes complete sense. We've seen that essentially the whole debate at the moment is about short term electoral politics um, and about essentially looking at the cost of net zero rather than I've seen some people call it the cost of not zero. Um, So thank you for refocusing at the moment there. I'm aware that's a really big debate and a big question. So thank you, Stu, for helping us make sense of the myriad of um, clean energy policy debate in the UK at the moment. But we are just about out of time for this episode of Susty Talk. So thank you for being our guest today. Thank you very much, Sarah.